Since you're still standing, we'll go ahead and uh, let you do, continue to do that while we read the scripture, which is printed for you there in the, in the bulletin. Hear now the word of God from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning of verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. Amen. Let's please be seated. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your greatness, for your power, for your word, for its truth. We thank you that the Holy Spirit takes the word, enlightens our mind and our understanding, and helps us to apply it to our lives, that we might walk together with him, with you, with our Lord, towards glory. Lord, we pray now that this preaching of this portion of your word would glorify you and be good for your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me uh, remind you a little bit about the Apostle John. In verse 9 there, we see that he's on the Isle of Patmos. The Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you're familiar with that, gives an account of uh, John and, the, and, and many others who who died as martyrs for the sake of, of the cross, for the sake of the gospel. And we, we know that the apostle John, who was sent to exile on Patmos later then, was freed and then he died a natural death. But it wasn't because they didn't try. Just before he was sent to Patmos, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it says this, The beloved disciple was brother to James the Great, the churches of Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira were founded by him. From Ephesus, he was ordered to be sent to Rome, where it is affirmed he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. He escaped by miracle, without injury. 
Domitian afterwards banished him to the Isle of Patmos. It wasn't because of lack of trying that he didn't suffer a martyr's death like the other apostles. But somehow, some way, God protected the apostle John as he was cast into a vat of boiling oil. And he came out without a scratch, without a blister. And so the Domitian said, well, we've just got to send him away somewhere. <laughs> Maybe he won't do a whole lot of damage. Well, while he's there, the Lord appears to him and he writes the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a, is a book that brings encouragement to God's people in times of difficulty, in times of struggle. As the world around us sometimes doesn't make sense, maybe even most of the time it doesn't make sense, when there's change and turmoil and things going on, we have a tendency towards despair and panic. I, I believe that's true for the world. I believe that's true for Christians. We have a tendency towards despair and panic when things change and become difficult, become unknown. We don't know what the next election is bringing. We don't know what the next year will bring. We don't know who the next pastor will be. We don't know these things. We don't know how issues of health will turn out. We don't know. And sometimes it causes us to turn inward and be filled with despair. In some ways, this sermon could also be, be entitled a vision test, an eye test. I see most of you guys, actually, well, maybe, maybe less than most, have glasses. Some of you are probably cheating and have contact lenses. Yeah, right? Yeah, okay. And there may be even some of you who really just have good eyes and can see things. Well, I've got something here. See if you can read this. Keep calm and carry on. You ever heard that phrase? Do you know where it comes from? I better put it here, otherwise I'll knock it off. It comes from the British government during World War II. They had decided to create a, a poster approach to encouraging the citizens of Great Britain as they were engaged in the war with Germany and all that was going on across the channel. They created three different posters. The first poster said this, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. That was deployed early on in the conflict and was about for, for a little while as it was and, until it became time for them to do a new one to encourage the people. But the first one was your courage, your cheerfulness, and your resolution. We're going to go forward and do it with a smile on your face. The second poster simply said, freedom is in peril. It's, it's bringing the people to see the cost of what would, uh, what would happen, the, the cost of, uh, of what they would lose if they lost the war. Freedom, freedom itself, and what all that meant. The third poster was never used. The third poster was meant to be deployed once Germany landed in England. They were anticipating the German army invading England. And once that took place, 
This was to be the poster. Keep calm and carry on. Thankfully, Germany never invaded England. This poster was never used. It was discovered many years later, and now it's keep calm and pass the butter or whatever, you know, whatever they, they want to say to do that. But, but keep calm and carry on, I think, is a, is a phrase that we can borrow as we are in the midst, truly, not only have we haven't been invaded by the enemy, we live amongst the enemy. We live amongst the world. We live amongst those who are influenced by the evil one. The kingdom of God still stands strong, but we as believers are sojourners in a foreign land surrounded by the enemy. Perhaps much like what England would have been like if Germany had invaded. Therefore, I think the message to keep calm and carry on is one that is good for us to be reminded of and to apply to ourselves in this time of uncertainty. I don't want to get in political stuff, but I, I, I'm very uncertain about the future of our government, regardless of who wins. Maybe some of you share that. There's a lot of challenges out there for us as a government. There's a lot of challenges in the world with the terror attacks and things going on. That Had you ever heard of Zika? I mean, where does it stop? Where does it stop being something that, that we see unfold and develop all around us that can cause us great concern and inner turmoil? I believe the message of the scripture, the message from the apostle John, the one who had survived the boiling vat of oil, the one who is now in exile on Patmos, the one who lived amongst the Roman Empire and all of its wickedness and all of its terror upon its own people, how it turned upon the Christians, blamed them for everything, took it out on them. They really had a mission to eliminate Christianity from the face of the earth. I believe that was the stated goal of the Roman emperors. We don't quite live in that type of world just yet. But there are some places on the face of the earth where they do want to stamp out Christianity altogether. So we're in a struggle. We're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Much like the Apostle John and those whom, to whom he wrote this letter in the first century, surrounded by the Roman Empire and the difficulties of that, he writes them basically to say, keep calm. And he believe, I believe he also says, and carry on. The reason I say that this is a vision test of sort, or could be, table, uh, could be uh, entitled a vision test, is because I think that what we need, what I need, is to know where to look, know what to see, and to see the right things. We are bombarded by the world, and we see so much on the news. I, 
in some ways, I wish we could just turn off the news channels. It's hard to do, isn't it? We see so much going on around us that it, it's reasonable to be in panic, to be in despair, to be mad, to be angry, and to want to lash out about these things. It's, I think it's because we are seeing with our eyes the wrong things. The scriptures remind us of the right things that we need to see. In 2 Kings chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. I want to recount to you this, the, uh, the story of Elisha and his servant. Beginning at verse uh, 15. 2 Kings 6 verse 15. Leading up to this, the, the king of Syria was frustrated because whenever he would deploy his armies, his men to do some uh, work against the people of Israel, the people of Israel would kind of know about it ahead of time and be prepared for that and would either not be there or be prepared to, to stand up to what was going on. So the king of Syria was very upset about that, felt like he had a spy in his midst and called in all of his uh, counselors and said, who is it among you who keeps telling the people of Israel what I talk about in my own chambers? And the response was, no one, O king, it's Elisha the prophet of God who knows the very words that you say and is able to communicate them to the people of Israel. So Syria, the Syrian king sends his armies to get rid of Elisha. So verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I sympathize with this servant. Look around at the world and say, how is this going to work out? I personally... I'm struggling about how to vote. For some of you, you may have that already set, and that's great. Others are wondering how to vote and what the turnout of the vote's going to be. And I know after this sermon, everyone's going to come up and tell me how I should vote. <laughs> I know you guys. I know you guys out there. That's okay. I'm ready for it. So this servant looks up and basically turns on the news and everything on the news says we're outnumbered. We're surrounded. The chariots and the armies and the men of Syria have us completely enclosed. We are doomed. What shall we do? Elisha said, do not be afraid. Very first words, do not be afraid. How many times throughout the scriptures? It's worthy of a good study. And those of you who knew Marianne Miller 
at Covenant in Little Rock, she had this do not fear trophy that she would give out to the children as they memorized do not fear verses. Do not be afraid. Do not fear is a theme that runs throughout scripture as God comes to his people. Often in their times of challenges and despair, and the very first thing he says is, don't be afraid. It's almost like he's saying, don't worry about it. Don't be overly concerned. Don't be filled with angst and anguish and despair. Don't be wringing your hands. Don't be staying up late at night trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out, well, if I do this and I do that, then maybe this will work in my life, in my job, in my marriage, in my relationship, whatever it might be. It could be that the things going on around in the world maybe personally affect you because maybe you've got a loved one who's deployed in those places of harm. And so the anguish and the concern and the fear is very real and very deep and very personal. Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then later on, Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. There is a spiritual reality that we don't know, that we don't see, and because of that, we forget that it's there. That's some of what John is trying to remind his people back in Revelation chapter 1. And indeed throughout the whole book of Revelation. It's basically to remind us there is a spiritual reality that you don't see. That you don't comprehend. That you believe maybe isn't there. But it is there. And because it's there, do not fear. Keep calm. The world around us seems to have the upper hand. It seems like we are doomed and sorely outnumbered. But when we adjust our vision to see the realities of what God has proclaimed to us, who He is, what He has promised, how He will work it out for us, we need to be back like the servant of Elisha. We need to hear those words, do not be afraid. I really think this is important for us as we live in this time, in this day and age. It's very important for us to not wring our hands and to be filled with angst and anxiety and despair. There's another thing we've got to be careful of, and that is trying to figure out how we're going to fix it. That it's up to us to fix it. It's up to us to elect the right person, 
Do you know what the scriptures say about who sits enthroned, who rules and governs the nations? It's only those people whom God places there. Even the bad ones. The world is not on its own, does not have its own power and authority and might that is independent of who God is. Some of what John writes in his letter in chapter 1, he begins by saying, Grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. In other words, kind of a parallel thought of don't be afraid. Understand the goodness, the mercy, the kindness, the wonderfulness that is freely ours from this God who freely loves us and has sent his own son to die for us, who has worked out all things for our good. The one who accomplishes all things according to his will. He is the one who sends you peace, who causes peace, who will bring you peace. He is the one who is the Lord of peace. Grace and peace from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. I love it that the first phrase that is used there is the one who is. Chronologically speaking, how would we have said that? The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That's the way we kind of think about things in our linear way of chronology. But here the scripture and so so many other places in the scripture starts with the one who is. I am who I am. The answer that came from the burning bush to Moses. I am who I am. The eternal I am. The one who always is, I am. First and foremost, he is. And in the past, it was him who is. He was the is, the I am, in the past. He is the is, the I am, right now. He will be the is, the I am, in the future. He does not change. It's the same God from all eternity, from all of history. And so the proper terminology to use in any kind of current context is, He is. It's the God who is. The one who reigns supreme. The one who is eternal. The one who is infinite. The one who is almighty. From him and the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Remember who John is writing to. The kings that had influence over that part of the earth at the time had taken John and put him into boiling oil. And had killed many of the other Christians and were in the process of killing as many as they could. But John wouldn't die. That should have opened the eyes of the Roman people, I would think. But no, they just were we're going to tuck him away in a corner of the earth and forget about him. God didn't forget about him. And God knew that his people, the people of the churches that John planted, the people of Christ 
who were spreading out through all over, all over the face of the earth. They needed to know that grace and peace comes from Him who is the Holy Spirit and the One who was raised from the dead who, and who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Keep calm. Keep calm because the world is not in control of itself. God is. I may violate Bob Beatty's 30-minute warning here. But I have something I want to read from, uh, from the Confession of Faith. I was, didn't know if you'd have the Trinity Bibles or uh, hymnals or not, so I, pardon me for using my iPhone. But I came prepared to this spot. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5. The first paragraph says this, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, all actions, and all things. From the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Those are words worth contemplating and meditating on. Because it tells us God is the one who is. It's the I am who is the ruler of the kings, who is in charge of this world, who is in charge of your world. It's not just the world around us that crowds in. It's our own worlds. It's our family concerns. It's our family issues. It's our personal struggles. It may be a personal struggle with depression or despair that, that just makes you immobilized. It could be a concern about a loved one who has gone off into the deep end of drugs or alcohol. Maybe that's something you have gone off into the deep end with. Maybe your money is gone. Maybe what you're counting on to provide for you in your retirement or for next week or for next month is not there. You don't know where it's coming from. Maybe you don't know what it's going to be like when you go to that new school with those new people. Are they going to be friendly to you? Are they going to welcome you? Are you going to be able to find a friend in that new place? Sometimes in our own worlds, we feel outnumbered. We feel out of control. We feel that tendency towards despair and panic. Not just the world around us, but our own personal worlds. The Bible tells us, there is a spiritual truth and reality and power that is at work that we don't see, that we don't understand, that we often don't feel, but it's there. That is our hope. That is what we trust in. That is what we believe in. That's what the scriptures tell us about God and the world around us. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his power and grace. Sometimes that's a hard hymn to sing. Because the things of the world are not getting dimmer. They're getting more bold. Keep calm. John says, keep calm. Regardless of whether it's Domitian in charge, Julius, Caesar, if he's in charge, it doesn't matter. If Barack Obama is the president, or Donald Trump, or Hillary Clinton, it doesn't matter. God is the one who is in control. And because of that, as we can look and see and understand, hopefully as somewhat to the degree that Elisha's servant experience, seeing the spiritual reality around us. So John encourages his readers and reminds them of what God has done for them. At the end of verse 5, "...to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood." And made us a kingdom, priest, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. These are not shallow words that are easily written. These are words from someone who's been there, who's experienced it, who has seen his brother and the other apostles killed horribly, and other believers, and yet he says these words about God. Verse 7, he says, Behold, another, another vision thing here. He basically says, Look, people, hey, look, pay attention. Behold, look, focus in upon this. He is coming with the clouds. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who's going to have the victory. He is the one who is the ruler over all things, even the kings. Every eye will see him, not just believers, but Domitian and Putin and Trump and Clinton and Obama. They will all see him. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and killed him, have nothing to do with him, who lashed out against his people, all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Look, look people, open your eyes. There is incredible reason to be calm. You want to have a testimony in this world? One of the things you can bear witness to is that God is in control and I'm calm about it. I'm not going to join in with the rest of the world wringing our hands and, and, and panicking. I'm trusting God and I'm going forward. I want to keep calm and carry on. I am not a prophet. 
But because I know and I believe that Jesus is in control of all of this, all of this going on, that it's going to be good. Now, you may define good differently than I define good. Because there is a sense where there are a lot of things that are not pleasant, that are very painful. Sometimes we define good in ways that mean free from difficulty. That is not what God has promised us. John knows that full well. So do the Christians in first century. So do Christians now in China and Sudan. So do Christians now in Iran and Iraq. God's good may come with difficulties. But his promise is all things under his providential, sovereign rule, according to the immutable, unchangeable freedom of his will, will come to pass as he disposes of them, as he plans them to come to pass. As believers in that type of God, we can look at the world around us and perhaps say, this is what I want to say to myself, be on the lookout for the movement of the Holy Spirit in this time of turmoil. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do a mighty work. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if our nation is going to make things more difficult for Christians. And just like in China, Christianity is going to explode. Perhaps it's that there will be a great revival. Already you, you wonder, at least I do, some of the, some of the media is beginning to, to see that some of the things that the politicians are doing are not right. They're immoral to a certain extent. And they question whether our nation should have someone who's guilty of these things leading us. Where is that coming from? Maybe it's coming from a common grace that there's still a sense of decency. Maybe there's going to be a revival of decency. That, that sounds strange, doesn't it? Maybe. I don't know. but I trust that God will open our eyes so that we can be calm. And let me close with, with verse 9 there. John says that he is their brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. The tribulation in this world, you will have tribulation, John 16, 33. But I have overcome the world. But the promise is, it's going to be hard. John says that he's a partner in this in a very real sense, very real way. 
We are not alone in this. You are not alone in this. There are other congregations in this nation. I was thinking when I was driving over here, there's, a, there's churches everywhere along Highway 107 on JFK. There are churches everywhere. Not that they are all good in teaching the scriptures, but many do. They don't have the same theology that we have, but they are trusting in Jesus. I believe that. There are people like you in this community, in this city, in this state, in this nation, in this world, who are looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. And that's a good thing. And we are in this together. And it could be we might have to be closer together than we've ever been, depending on the things that happen around us. But John, as our brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, the kingdom that is now in existence, Jesus is ruler of the kings of the earth. Even though the king of Syria sends his men around Elisha, the chariots of fire are there. He's not absent without leave. He's there. The spiritual realities and truths are there. And the patient endurance that are in Jesus. In many ways, that's the hardest phrase of the whole thing. Because like me, perhaps... You want Jesus to put things right now. I would like to see this building surrounded by chariots of fire. I would like to see those chariots of fire surround the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. I would like for there to be a visible demonstration of the incredible power and might of God. But I'm sure it's not going to happen because it's not God's will. But there will come a time when every eye will see, and every knee will bow. Because behold, people, behold, look, he's coming in the clouds. He is the one who has all power and might, wisdom and ability to do whatever it is that he decides is according to his will, which is good and perfect and just and merciful. It's a vision thing. I think the British government knew that in some respects. If you knew the German army was marching up from the cliffs of Dover, it might seem kind of silly to just put out a little poster. But in a way, it's what you focus on. What are you focusing on? What are you focusing on in this day and age? I encourage you and I invite you to keep calm and carry on and focus on God. And the wonderful thing that we get to do this morning is we get to take these elements, these physical, tangible elements, and take them into our body 
as a visible reminder, Jesus died for us. We now stand acceptable in God's presence. The Holy Spirit has now come and is with us. Jesus said, if I go away, that's a good thing because the Spirit will come and dwell within you. And we do this, what does it say? Until he comes again. At least once a month. At least once a month. I'm going to do this and I'll probably be struck down by lightning. When you see the table, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of who's in charge. It's a reminder of who he is and what he has done. It's a reminder of the promise of what's to come. Keep calm, people. Keep calm. And carry on until he comes again. Let's bow together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful mercies, for your incredible power, for the reminder that is so much there for us in Scripture that we do not need to be afraid. Forgive us for our weakness. Forgive us for our frailty. Forgive us for looking to ourselves and to the princes of men to deliver us. Lord, may our eyes be fixed on you. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the king of all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.